Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monster Hour. I am Quinn, your keeper of monster and mysteries. With me today are Hannah. Hi, I'm Hannah, and I play JR the Crooked. Tio. Hello, I am Tio, and I play Constance the Expert. And Kyle. Hi, I'm Kyle, and I play, um, uh, hmm. <laughs> Last time. You and your beleaguered allies regrouped at the studio after a vexing evening in pursuit of the otherworldly entity. After taking the night to recuperate, you are greeted the next morning by another showing from the Imagine Lab's headset. A scene of bedlam and terror, as the creature claimed dozens of students at the Chamberlain Library, ripped the ink from its books, and tore a rift to another realm. You made your way hastily to Firmament College, up to the reading room of the library, where the jagged gash in reality was waiting for you. Your initial foray beyond the rift revealed a vast, empty expanse filled with countless orbs of light. Each seemed to display a strange and fantastical vision, seemingly a memory from a bygone era. Jair established a circle of protection around the tear and fortified the connection to prevent it from collapsing. Constance entreated her boonie for help, learning that opening a rift like this would have required immense magical power, the kind that only a seal could provide. Jair and Constance, as the two of you sit there, Awaiting news from your scouting party, a strange sensation comes over you. The feeling of being suddenly woken from a dream, unsure of what is real and what is just a lingering figment of your imagination. And amidst this bewilderment, you realize that the cord leading into the rift has gone slack. What do you do? I stick my head into the rift. Jair, you stick your head into the rift, and once again, you are greeted by this vast expanse filled with thousands, millions, maybe more, of these orbs of light in all colors and sizes. And you can see the forget-me-not hanging loose and limply down out of this rift. Do I remember who was at the end of the string? You know you sent somebody in here. A friend, a a good, a close friend, you sent somebody in here to investigate, but when you think about it, you can't remember who. Okay, I pull back out of the rift. Constance, we just got whammied. There was somebody on the other end of this, but I don't remember who it was. What do we have on our arms? What's on our arms? (laughs) What's on our arms now, Quinn? At this point, I think... (laughs) Like a sleeve (laughs) tattoo, your arms are just covered in all sorts of notations and messages to yourself about all manner of things. I think at this point you can see several sections that are are smudged out, just like blots of ink. All right, I'm going to do the spell that I have gotten pretty good at, rolling back time on our arms. JR, give me a roll to use magic. Nine. On a seven to nine, there's a glitch. Short duration. Okay. What is the message that the two of you have written to yourselves? I think JR's is probably, you are JR, Constance is the woman with the very paint-splattered clothes, Alvin is the wolf man, and the three of you are friends? Question mark? Wow. Okay, then. The question mark got crossed out, but she was like, are we friends? I think that's what friends are. It was more a reflection on her. This was not a reflection on you. This is a reflection. What is a friend? This is so much shit. JR's working some stuff out, okay? This is not. Are we friends or are we roommates or are we both? Uh, I think on my arm, it definitely, if I recall correctly, says trust 
the woman in the suit and the wolf man, which is not as helpful in this instance. But if I told myself to trust the wolf man and your arm said that the wolf man is Alvin and there's only the three of us written down like that across each other's arms, probably the person in the void is this wolf man. Yeah. So briefly, the two of you get these messages reappearing on your arms that say, trust the wolf man, your companion, seemingly this wolf man named Alvin. And then it disappears. Do you think that's why we have so much fur all over us? Oh, God. Oh, my God. There's so much hair. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense. Okay, how do we want to get him back? He's clearly lost in the void. Yeah. Um. I don't think Constance says this out loud because uh, she's worried that, you know, the mood is already so bleak. But in her mind, she's like, Oh, God, what if this wolf man we don't remember, what if he was the brains of the operation and without him, we're not going to know how to figure this one out? <laughs> oh, my thinking was a lot less. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's more existentially bleak was. All right. I got to guess I got to go into the fucking void. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's time to step up. Constance puts her hand on Jr.'s shoulder and looks at Jr. and says, we're going to have to go in and get our leader. But we're going to need a new system for keeping track of whichever one of us goes into that void. Oh, no, we're both going in the void. I'm s- oh. this is Yeah, no, we're both going in the void. We just we tie ourselves to each other. Hold on. Hear me out. Let's combine some of our best hits. Here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I think we should physically tie ourselves together. And then is there some way to magically tie ourselves together? Quinn, could I do, like, some kind of magical tether? Like a magical forget-me-not? I think you could strengthen the forget-me-not magically. Enchant a weapon or do one thing that is beyond human limitation to reinforce your mundane physical connection. Yes. Yeah! JR, give me a roll to use magic. It's an eight, and so it's going to work imperfectly. So I'm going to pick a glitch. Problematic side effect. JR, you enact this connection, uh, and you feel yourself joined to Constance through this forget-me-not. And I think the connection is perhaps more profound than you anticipated. Oh, boy. It almost gives you a, a faint sense of the sensation of being part of the consensus, that brief period of time. Like you feel yeah. like you almost have double vision yeah. connected to Constance and like Constance moves her arm and you can feel like goosebumps on yours as the wind rushes over. Mm-hmm. You get the sense that if something happens to one of you, it's probably going to affect the other one as well. Oh boy. All right. So this is like magical therapy where you really have to empathize with the other person. Yes. More like a magic umbilical cord that will transfer impacts between you. Can I just say that there's a part of me that feels like if we are magically connecting e- ourselves, for some reason, I feel like that should mean I should be able to taste your aura. I do not consent to you tasting my aura. I'm not saying that it's like in like a, ooh, I want to taste your aura. I mean, if we're linked, your space is my space. Oh, it's yeah. going to be like when, yeah. You get, yeah. Yeah, when you get a medication through an IV and you can smell it. Exactly. Yes. That's okay, what I'm thinking. Fair. So so think about think about what your aura would taste like. Ooh, okay. Okay. I will note that uh my aura tastes like Starburst. So I hope you enjoy that. What flavor of Starburst? Oh, um This is important. There is t- a correct one. Tangerine. 
What? Yes. Are there tangerine e- starbursts? No, you caught my bluff. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh my god. The orange one. That's like orange. Okay, so it's orange. orange. It's or it's orange colored. It's orange flake. Oh my I god! I mean, that's not always how they roll with that kind of stuff. No, in marketing. but it's orange. Like the flavors of Starburst are orange and strawberry and cherry and lemon. Like that's you say the base. that like everybody knows that, but I love it. Yes, everybody does know. Uh, oh listeners, please comment in the Discord <laughs> if you knew the flavors of Starburst. This is important information. Anyway, what does your aura taste like? Uh, mine tastes like cold brew. From what company? No, no. I got to keep this on the rails. <laughs> really all right, good. all right. Go on. So, JR, you are, are magically tethered to Constance right now. All right. Any last final business before we go? Yes. What's your last final business? I think in my mind very hard the word platypus. JR, do you... JR Constance just kind of stands there for a moment and nothing happens. Okay. What are you doing? Uh, I was kind of hoping maybe we had telepathy because that would make things a lot easier. Um, Okay. We should have a word for things are going very badly when we're in there. How about things are going very badly? Mm, I'm going to go with platypus. Look, we got to have some fun because this is going to be dangerous and terrible and I want to at least feel somewhat like a spy. That's fair. And then I take a step forward. Yes. And the two of you step through the rift. Alvin, you come to in a forest. You're surrounded by tall pine trees and undergrowth. Pine needles crackle faintly beneath your feet. As you get your bearings, you can faintly smell and taste the scent of blood on your tongue and on your lips. Am I hungry? You are. Ooh. You are very hungry. So I can taste blood on my lips, but is the, do I think the smell is coming from that same blood or is there a scent? You turn and between two fallen logs are the remnants of a deer. Hmm. But I'm still hungry. You are. That's weird. That's weird that I, a wolf, am thinking that's weird. I stand up. Okay. Am I on two legs? You tell me. I think I do. And that's weird. I think that's also weird. I think I get back down on all fours. And that feels a little bit better. But still kind of weird. I think there's a lot of confusion, and I'm going to get my snoot down to the ground, and I just want to kind of case around the circle of this joint and just start sniffing and try to try to get like a mental smell map of my surroundings. Why don't you give me a roll to investigate a mystery? <gasps> it's a plus one because I'm definitely using my snoot. Yes. Which means it's a 10. I got a 10. Hold two. I get two questions. Oh, boy. I'm going to crack this case wide open. (laughs) I think the first one I'm going to ask is what happened here. Because if I was hungry, I would have eaten the deer, not been hungry anymore, and taken a nap. But I just woke up from the nap. I'm still hungry. So why didn't I eat a full meal? This deer didn't do the trick. This deer didn't sate 
your hunger. Mm-hmm. It's not what you need. Yeah, different hunger. And I think as you have that realization, you hear a howl on the wind. Yeah. A call from one of your kin telling you that the hunt is on. Ooh, perfect. Where did it go? It went deeper into the woods. You can tell that the sound is coming from deeper into the woods. Yeah, I think there's just a, uh, a swell of confidence. Ooh, there's, that's right. There's a pack. They got my back. I got their back. The hunt is on. We're going to sate this hunger. We're going to take down whatever we're hunting. And he takes off. You leap over fallen logs and bound past trees until you reach a break in the woods. And along the tree line, you can see other giant canines towering almost seven, eight, sometimes 10 feet tall. And as you look on with your kin, for a moment, you see something peculiar, something you don't understand. You see a series of gleaming buildings, seemingly made of glass. They have a geometric shape arranged in very neat patterns and lines. And there's a fence line that's separating you from it. You feel like you almost remember it from another time or place, but very quickly it fades, it drops away, and instead, in front of you, is a small village. A village full of simple one-story, mostly wood and thatch buildings, and people. What do you do? I reach the side, I give a howl to the pack, and I I sniff the air. Give me a roll to investigate a mystery. Uh, That is an eight. On a seven to nine, hold one. I think I'm, I'm smelling for something that is not of this world because I've determined that the flesh and bushes and stone and rock and air and water of this world is not inconsequential, but is mundane and, and doesn't really spark anything. And if my pack has focused around this little village of normal stuff, I think I'm going to ask what is being concealed here. One by one, your pack dive forward charging down this hill towards this village. And as they sprint towards it, just a couple more times it flickers in and out between this village and this this strange campus of glass and steel. And you remember the word steel. Steel. That sounds bitter. And you remember flashes of other things, too. You remember a deer in the woods, and a feeling of confusion, but a, a different one. Not of not knowing why you weren't sated, but not knowing why you did what you did. Mm -hmm. And as you grapple with these feelings, you notice right beside you, running as far back as you can see into the woods and as far forward as you can see towards the horizon, is a single silver thread. Ah, now this is dinner. I, I, I bite it. Your teeth close on this thread, and you feel like you are traveling at the speed of light. And everything fades away. Constance and JR, you step through the rift and find yourself in this vast, empty expanse of nothing. There's no color, no end, as far as you can see, just orbs of light. What do you do? I poke one of them. JR, you float to one of the nearest orbs and you put your hand on it, and instantly you are transported to another time and another place. You are standing in a dank and dimly lit dungeon. There are people chained up hanging on the walls. 
emaciated, and in the center of the room there is a cauldron, and a figure in a dark shroud stands over it. They're tossing in all manner of strange ingredients, they're whispering incantations, and at the end of this ritual, they produce a rat from their sleeve. It's squeaking and squealing, and this shrouded figure dunks it into the cauldron (gasps) once, twice, three times into this bubbling green liquid. Keep going. And the rat convulses several times. Its eyes glow a virulent green. Ah. And the shrouded figure drops it, and it skitters off into the dark tunnels. And then you're back. Ha! Okay, well, that's one way to make a murder rat. How was it? You know, I'm going to give this community theater production of Snow White two thumbs down because they used a live animal in it, and I don't like seeing that in my theater production. It was fucking weird, man. I saw, like, a person putting a rat in a big old cauldron, and then they took the rat out, and then the rat was all glowy. Maybe, oh my god, oh my god. <gasps> so this is a that memory? That was Madame Curie, the unwritten passage where she discovers... <laughs> radium and subjects lab animals to it for fun and profit okay but like when i when i look at jr does jr look any different is there any physical difference no she looks exactly the same and constance from your perspective nothing happened she Mm. just passed her hand through this orb there didn't seem to be any like physical mass to it like her hand just went straight through Uh, and she kind of stood there for like a half second but nothing happened to her Okay, so we can essentially go on quite literally down memory lane with these orbs. Cool. I like want to take a look around and see. Do you want to? You want to try one? Like you should try one just to just to get the full experience. I will definitely try one, not because of peer pressure, but just because you know life's short. But before I do that, I just want to. Does there look like there's any pathway or anything was disturbed? Like, is there anything that would tell us which direction? The Wolfman might have gone. I think I'm gonna have you read a bad situation, actually. Okay. I think that's the most appropriate move here. That, my friends, is a 14. All right. And I would like to note that I do have advanced moves on read a bad situation. Okay. You wanna uh-huh. tell the listeners what happens on an advanced read a bad situation? I can ask the keeper. Any question I want, well, about the situation, not about life, but not (laughs) just the listed ones. On a 10 plus hold three. Excellent. Okay, my first question. Does this space look familiar to me? Like, for instance, from a painting? Yes. Okay. Constance, you recognize this space, I don't think immediately, but as you look around, and I think in particular as you look down, far below you, Somehow you can still sort of recognize directions, despite the strangeness of this place. You can see the emptiness grows cloudy and a bit obscured. Crisscrossing the space between these orbs are thin blue rods, perfectly straight and geometric. They grow more prolific the further down you can see, and you realize that you have seen this before. You have painted this. The scene that J.R. and Stoney saw through the window amidst the pixelated remains of the Earth Spider. The world of orbs. Mm. 
but that's far below the place where you are. Up here, above and all around you, there's nothing but these orbs. But you do recognize this scene. Hmm. Those perfectly straight blue lines, that is how the orbs are connected below me. Yeah, I'd say far below. Far below. Okay. You can barely make them out. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Okay, I have two more. I think a good one would be, is there a particular direction that would be safest to go? That would be safest to go? I guess that doesn't really matter because what we're doing is we're looking for Alvin. We need to get him back. So I guess, um, I okay, I'm going to be boring. I'm going to use a regular question for a second. Are there any dangers we haven't noticed? Let's just get the responsible question out of the way. Yes. Constance, in one direction in the distance, you can see something moving. It looks like a long, thin, black tentacle. And it is snaking its way outwards. And as it does, it is vivisecting these orbs, Ah. threading them Ah. like beads. And it's making its way your direction. Uh, okay, interesting. All right, well then, my last question, this is a very specific question, but that's the power I wield right now. Is there a way to speed run this, Quinn? You know, you like <laughs> put two of the orbs together and boom, then you have like a, a, a rocket boost. Constance, as you move around, you can already move quite quickly, uh, like faster than you've ever moved in your life. Ooh. I don't know that there's any way to to juice your speed, so to speak. There's no NOS. There's no turbo. <laughs> but you can already go quite quickly, just sort of of your own accord, just by thinking about it. Okay. I grab your hand, JR, and I go, time to go. And I, I direct us down. Uh, okay. The two of you go speeding down through this vast expanse until you're amidst this strange sort of networked section where all of the orbs are connected by these very, very thin, translucent blue rods. If we touch a rod, is it the same thing? Does our hand go through it? It does, but nothing happens. Huh. What if I touch it again? Again, nothing happens. I just want to make sure that the first one wasn't, you know, a, like we didn't touch it the right way. Or Ooh, I'm going to put one hand in one orb, and then I want to put- I want to put another hand in another orb that are, that is connected. So two yeah! connected orbs. Uh, I don't think any of them are close enough to do that. Oh I put my one God, toe Quinn. in one orb, and I put. Do you really want to do that? Okay, we can do it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Constance, give me. I'm gonna invent a custom move on the fly here. <laughs> uh, I think I'm gonna say plus weird. Give me yeah, a roll plus weird. Right. That's a five. Oh, no. (laughs) Okay. Constance, you're taken to another time and place, or perhaps more accurately, you're taken to several times and places at once in a way that is profoundly disruptive and disorienting. Uh, You're caught between a space flight where you're looking down at Earth as you exit the planet's orbit. And deep underwater, you can only assume as part of a submarine, and your vision is oscillating back and forth between the depths of space and the dark of the ocean. Uh, and you take one harm as this <laughs> psychic trauma just rips your mind apart. Oh, hey, boy. Quinn. Yeah. No, I don't, because it wasn't as bad as it looked. Uh, okay. Time to frickin' roll. 
Do you want to, for the listeners, go ahead and read it wasn't as bad as it looked? Yes. Once per mystery, I may attempt to keep going despite my injuries. I got a roll plus cool, and on a 10 plus, I can heal two harm and stabilize wounds. If I get a 7 to 9, I can only choose to stabilize or heal one harm, and um, on a miss, uh, it's worse than it looked, and Quinn gets to inflict a harm move on me or make my wounds unstable. Let's roll the dice. Who boy. Uh, that's a three. Okay. <laughs> oh, God. JR, you see Constance grab hold of two orbs at once, yeah. and her eyes roll back into her head, but they don't come back, and she just starts seizing and then completely falls unconscious. Oh, God. Okay, I pull, I pull her out of the orbs. Okay, she is unconscious. I slap her a couple times. A big, bright palm mark <laughs> appears on her cheek. Thank you. <laughs> Look, I was trying to help. Okay, That's true. Uh, That's true. I Constance, how many it. harm are you at? Well, so Quinn hasn't told me. I assume that means you made my wounds unstable, or are you inflicting a harm? I, I have used a harm move, which is that oh, okay. trying to view two memories at once has caused significant damage to your consciousness and your psyche, and your brain has shut down. Got it. I am at three harm, but I am stable. Okay, I would like to try to fix your brain. <laughs> Thank you. I guess this would perhaps qualify as cure a disease. Yeah, broken, I think that's the broken effect Broken brain here. disease. Okay. Well, it's a seven. <laughs> On a seven to nine, there's a glitch. <laughs> uh, problematic side effect. Go wild, Quinn. JR, you hold the key over Constance. You whisper your incantations. And Constance, you come to. But what you see in front of you is not the world of discs. It is a vast expanse of deep, dark ocean. And you blink, and then you're in the depths of space. And you blink, and then you're back in the world of orbs. And you blink again, and you're in the ocean. You are oscillating between the world of orbs and these two memories that you just tried to take part of at the same time. You're going to suffer a minus one ongoing until I say you don't. <laughs> this sounds like my personal nightmare and Constance's nightmare, so thank you. But yeah, you are back, uh, mostly, and uh, the two of you are down in the networked space. Well, that was my idea, JR. Thanks for kind of bringing me back. Your turn. I mean, I'm not sticking both hands into two different orbs, if that's what you're saying, because it, it feels to no, me no, like no. That didn't... We learned our lesson on that. I mean, it's your turn for an idea. <laughs> so we're in a section where the orbs are all connected, but if we look up, we can see a section where the orbs are not connected. Can I see where the monster has started to sneak its little arm in and is like, ing? Nice fully orbs. Work. Thank you. Yeah, JR, you look above you, again, to the extent that direction has any meaning, but right. it, the way you perceive it, above you. And yes, there are now, you can see multiple thin, viscous, almost liquid-like black tendrils that Gross. are just weaving their way through all of these orbs of light. Okay. Um, Like, is there any kind of central hub? Or is this more like what I'm thinking of is those kits that you had in high school to make molecules 
that had like the little balls and like stuck. That's the what little... I was thinking. Yeah. So is it like that, or is it like can I see that there's like one big center atom in the molecules that we can go check out, or are we just like in the middle of a b- big old molecule puzzle? Uh, it is very much the elementary school molecule set where it's just Excellent. like an endless string of connections. There's no hub. Well, have we tried yelling Alvin's name and seeing if he hears us? Yeah, let's give that a whirl. <laughs> Alvin! 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 Wolfman! Do we Alvin? hear any response? Oh! Trying to speak his language. Oh! <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. Hello? Is anybody there? Right? Uh, let's see. <laughs> one of you give me a roll plus luck. 2d6 plus one half of your remaining luck. Uh, Tio, what are you at? Um, <laughs> one. Yeah, you don't want me to do it. Okay, I will then be doomed. I will do it. I will do it. It's 2d6. Uh, that's an eight. Constance and JR. Yes. As the two of you are shouting, mm-hmm. I think you see one of those black tendrils start moving towards you, snaking its way further down, linking through orbs as it goes. But as it does, you notice something almost like just the gleam of light catching something. And you realize that running parallel to this black tendril is a small silver thread. It's almost like it's dueling or shadowing it, and it quickly races out ahead and is making a beeline for the two of you. The thread or the tentacle? Well, both, but the thread is running ahead of the tentacle. I mean, should we touch it? Yeah, should we touch it? We should touch it. Let's touch it. Let's touch it. We leap forward for the thread. You touch it, and immediately you are sailing forward at the speed of light. And as you move through this expanse of orbs, you see this mass of tendrils moving outwards in every direction. And all around you, they are being opposed by these filaments, these gossamer silver filaments in every direction as far as you can see. And as you move closer, you realize it's all coming from a single point, an inky cloud of darkness. You zoom towards it. And before you can scarcely blink, you're there. In front of you is what can only be described as a colossal jellyfish. Its whole body is composed of this inky darkness, and inside of its bell, you can see hundreds of these tiny orbs twinkling like stars. And floating beneath it is a form that seems strangely familiar. A person. A young man. What does the young man look like? There's so many young men in our lives. Yeah. Uh, quite, quite hairy. He's got a prodigious amount of, of facial hair and, and just a lot of hair in general. He's wearing a flannel shirt and his snout is protruding outward and he's got fangs and claws <gasps> coming out from his fingertips. The wolf man! I poke Constance. I'm like, I think... Is that yeah! is that him? Is that the wolf? The that wolf looks man. like a man, and he's a wolf. Al- Alvin, Alvin. Oh, this figure does not respond. Well, that's but rude. As you speak, 
This towering entity, this jellyfish, its tendrils extending outward as far as you can see in every direction, turns to you. Oh, oh shit. And as it does, an impossibly loud sound fills your ears, and your consciousness is fractured into an incalculable number of little pieces. Well, fuck. Hey folks, it's your Keeper of Thought and Memory, Quinn here, coming at you this intermission from the vast empty expanse of the world of orbs. We're about to go on a little trip here, so be sure to pack some snacks and get comfy. As always, I want to thank everyone who's been helping spread the word about the show by leaving us a rating and review, giving us a shout on social media, and magically connecting to your friend's auras, tangerine or otherwise. The Real Monster is getting people to see your glowing orb amidst a million others, and we appreciate y'all helping us glow a little bit brighter. I also want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Krista. A huge thank you to all of our benevolent patrons for supporting the show and helping us bring you awesome new content, like part two of our game of Kingdom, where myself and some fabulous guests play kindred frenemies in the realm of Otherware. If you too want to support the show and enjoy access to bonus episodes, swag, GM notes, and more, you can go to patreon.com slash monsterhour or check out the link in the show notes. A final note before we jump back in. We deal with some heavier content than usual in the second half of this episode, including abandonment and bereavement. It's mixed with our usual brand of tomfoolery, but if you want to skip it or just come back later, we encourage you to do what is best for you and your mental health. That's all I've got for you this week, folks. We will return with episode 49 of Monster Hour on April 27th. See you then. Alvin, you find yourself in a classroom. Hungry for knowledge. I think you recognize it as Firmament College. There are rows of desks. I think it's a sort of like a theater almost situation. Mm-hmm. So there's there's rows rising up. It's probably, you know, a 40 or 50 person lecture. So probably one of the larger ones at Firmament. Mm-hmm. I think next to you, you see Leon, your friend, your good friend. Rumi. What class are you in? We are undeclared because we're little babies, but Natch. there's we're satisfying some some arts requirements in the general undergrad, and so we're in Cinema 101 because we thought it'd be easy to okay. just like kick back and watch movies in a lecture hall. What movie is playing? Ooh, I think maybe Nosferatu. Ooh, yeah, very good. Okay, so Nosferatu is on. I think Leon's goofing around on his phone. A lot of people are kind of goofing off. I think the professor is is so engrossed in the film <laughs> yeah. that they're not really paying enough attention to realize that the students are mostly Perfect. goofing off. And some folks are enjoying it. I brought popcorn. Yeah, you've got some popcorn. Alvin, as you're digging into that popcorn, something strange happens. The bottom of the popcorn tub breaks. What? It just like tears and popcorn goes spilling out onto your lap. Uh, Leon looks over and is like, hey, is everything okay? I must... I don't know, maybe put too much butter in here or something. Compromise structural integrity of the bin. I pull my hand out and take a quick look. You can see that your fingers have thickened and retracted, almost like a paw. And your fingernails are long and razor sharp. Uh, Panic. That's not good. I look up at the screen as Nosferatu is playing. 
and I rummage around in my in my pack and I pull out being Colorado, being a college campus in Colorado and probably near the winter time. I've got some gloves that I'd wear going to class. And I just pull the glove out, and pop it on that hand. You put the glove on and I think, how does it go the first time? I think the glove goes on, but it doesn't go on all the way because the hand is bigger and the claws are bigger. So it looks like a very small glove. My fingers are in it, but it doesn't quite go all the way down to my wrist. So you're wearing this oddly shaped glove and trying to keep your sharpened talon-like nails contained within it. Mm -hmm. On the screen, I think we see Nosferatu moving in the darkness, stalking a victim. And you get a pang of sympathy. Mm -hmm. As you look down, you realize that your other hand is starting to sprout claws. This is getting too far and too weird, and I can't be here with all these people. So I, I spring to my feet, and when Leon is probably understandably surprised, popcorn going everywhere, I give out a, a couple big coughs, tucking one hand in the armpit of the other arm and coughing into my elbow. You know, oh, geez, I gotta, oh, I'm really coming down with something. And then I just run. Alvin, why don't you give me a roll to act under pressure? Oh, no, I have Tio's dice on my desk. That's a five. <laughs> Alvin, you spring up, head to the door, and you grab hold of it, and it doesn't budge. Uh, Give me a roll to read a bad situation. Oh, one better, though. A six. Alvin, something feels off. Something doesn't feel quite right as you grip onto this door. And you roll backwards and wind up landing in a pile of popcorn. And everyone in this room is looking at you. Oh. And people are starting to whisper. I pull my hood up and slide my sleeves down over my hands and try to scramble out of the popcorn. All around you, you see your classmates pointing, saying, what's wrong with those claws? Did he always have that big of a beard? What happened to you? Teen Wolf? Different. He's dangerous. Alvin's a monster. I just uh, have the flu, something going around. I try to find Leon in the crowd. You can see Leon in the group. He's kind of sitting almost frozen, looking at you. Am I able to get to my feet or am I kind of yeah. stuck in a sea of popcorn? No, no, I don't think it's quite that much okay. popcorn. Yeah, you're able to get up. <laughs> it's a big, I brought a big bowl. Okay, well, it's quite a bit, but you're able to, <laughs> to get past it. I think I get to my feet and I just run over to Leon and, and say to him, come on, can we, can, we just, can, we, can we just leave? Give me a roll to manipulate someone. Oh, no. Screw you, dice. Five. Oof. Alvin, I think you reach Leon, grab onto him, and you're entreating him to please get, just, just go. And he locks eyes with you and says, you know I don't go with you. And everything fades to black. Oh, no. JR, June, you find yourself in a mall. You're in a sea of garish storefronts, knots of people, teens enjoying a, a nice time out, young parents with their kids doing some shopping, older folks who are just kind of enjoying the whole ambiance. 
The air is stale but filled with excitement because this is a different time when malls were the cornerstone of America. What mall do we think you're in? The only only mall I know is the Mall of America. I do really want it to be one of those two-story ones. That's the kind of mall that I want to be at. Okay. You're in this mall amidst these crowds of people, and you realize you're by yourself. You're not supposed to be by yourself, at least not as much as you can remember. You're supposed to be with your family, your parents, your brother. But you can't find them. Okay, I'm looking around. Why don't you give me a roll? I could be convinced, investigate a mystery, or read a bad situation. Let's see, because I'm by myself, I think read a bad situation is probably. Yeah. It's a 10. On a 10 plus, hold two. Okay, I would like to know. Let's see, are there any dangers I haven't noticed? I don't think so. It's a mall. I mean, everything around you is, is jovial cheery. You just don't quite know where you are, and you don't know where your family is. It all seems vaguely familiar. What's the best way out? I think, JR, you realize that you've been here before. You know this story. It's your story. How does the story go? Uh, I got lost at the mall, and somebody took me to the, the, (laughs) the kid lost and found. Whatever the security officer is at the mall, and when they found my, my parents, instead of being relieved that they'd found me, they were angry that I'd gotten lost in the first place. You need to find the security guard, the one who helped you. Okay. Let's see. What's what's the best way to protect the victim? I guess I'm the victim. How do I protect myself, Quinn? Uh... Emotionally shut people out of my life and keep people at arm's length so that they can't hurt me because walls keep us safe. That's how I protect myself. I think you answered your own question. All right. Um, right. I'm looking for the security guard. These series of thoughts occur in your mind, and in a familiar spot, you see a big, burly security guard. He looks quite intimidating, but you remember him well. He was far kinder than his gruff exterior would have belied. I go up to the security guard. I'm not going to do a child voice, because that way lies danger. But I go up to the security guard. And as best a child can explain what's going on, I explain that I am lost. I think over his shoulder, you can see the outline of your parents, and they're frowning. But the security guard looks at you, and he smiles. And he holds out a hand, ostensibly to take yours and and to lead you to your parents, but instead, he's holding a thin silver thread. Like for me to take? It's there if you want it. I reach for the thread. And everything fades away. Constance. 
you are sitting alone in the backseat of a car. What are you wearing? I am wearing a long black dress down to probably like mid-calf with just short sleeves. And I think my hair is up in a ponytail. But I think I have bright purple nail polish on. There is a rap on the car door. It opens and you see your mother in a very proper black dress. Come, dear. It's time. I nod and follow along. Constance, what was your Boonie's funeral like? I think it was confusing. I think at this point in my life, to the current day for Constance, actually, uh, not very good at processing emotions, definitely not comfortable with the somber sadness of the funeral. Especially being Romanian, this is an Eastern European funeral, so there's no joyous toast and memory of the person. There's no reliving good moments. It's If you're doing it at least the way that, that my, in my neck of the woods, in my part of Romania, it's you are serious, you are quiet, everyone comes up and pays their respects, you have spent the whole morning cooking, so you have your coliva ready, which is It's like a cake that commemorates the dead. And for some people, and at my Boonies funeral, this definitely happened, they take the cake to the burial site and do a a, a cross with red wine over the Coliva. I know that doesn't happen everywhere, but it did at her funeral. And everyone is just very buttoned up and somber, which is strange for Constance because... Boonie was rarely ever like that. And a lot of these people, when they would interact with Boonie or with Constance, they were always very animated, very loud. Pretty much everyone in Constance's family and in the more general stereotyping here, but general Romanian community is very animated when they talk. They talk with their hands. They're, you know, the concept of an indoor voice doesn't exist. So seeing everyone so muted probably adds to the awkwardness that Constance is feeling, which forces Constance into this weird space where she keeps accidentally smiling because she's so uncomfortable that she's smiling. And then she just gets, you know, kind of mean looks from family members, especially from her mom of like, why are you smiling? Stop that. Stop that. But it's like a involuntary response to just how how awkward How awkward it is, which is almost more than it is sad. It's just weird. There's a thickness to the air as you step out of the car. It's like a really hot day where the heat is sweltering, but it's not hot. It's just oppressive. Things unfold as as you would imagine. And I think after your mother gives a speech, it's your turn. Hello. Thank you all for attending. Um, I know that my boonie would would probably be very angry at me for not opening this with a solid joke to really hook you in from the get-go, but I couldn't really figure out how to write anything down. 
I guess what I will say is that I hope today is but one of many days where we honor the memory of the most badass, ridiculously stubborn women I've ever met who guided me in a lot of ways into being a person, but also into seeing my own mother for the person that she is. I hope that, you know, after you say your polite condolences to us here today, you go about your day and and the rest of your life keeping that goal in mind for your own life, pushing past your fears a bit and igniting that kind of spark and drive in the people around you. And I think that's all that I feel like I can say right now. Thank you to everyone who who helped with food and preparations as well. It meant a lot to my family. And then I stepped down. There's a smattering of polite applause, and I think this ceremony concludes. So, Constance, it's time for the final goodbyes. What happens next? Well, um... We're all gathered around the grave. The casket has been lowered. And as we're all just kind of staring at each other, the priest very politely puts a hand on my mom's shoulder and says, it's time. We all bow for a moment of silence. The candles are handed out. Each person is holding a candle for the moment of silence. And... Sometimes Murphy's Law hits at the weirdest moments because I really wanted to try to be as appropriate and somber and put together as I could possibly be, not for myself or even for my boonie, but for my mom, because I knew how important that was for her. I made sure there was nothing on my dress that I would be fidgety about. I wore my purple nail polish, but that's because purple was boonie's favorite color and I cleared it with my mom. And I even went as far as to full-on hairspray my hair down because I knew that otherwise I'd be constantly touching my face and touching my hair. And I knew how much that would, to my mom at least, feel like I was distracted. So as I stood there holding my candle, I felt really confident that even if I didn't feel like this was closure, I knew that it was doing something for my mom. And that was ultimately why I was there. So I, you know, bowed my head and I leaned down and I caught my hair on fire. Uh, And it went up real fast with all that hairspray, like really fast. And I would like to say that I was calm about it, but my reaction wasn't so much, how do I deal with this? It was oh my God, I'm on fire. And so I immediately started running around the casket screaming. Constance, you're running around the casket, your hair on fire screaming. I think the priest takes a bit of wine and tries to douse you with it, but it doesn't work. And all of your relatives are staring at you and advancing towards you. Give me a roll to read a bad situation. Well, that's a good old fashioned 11. Hold three. Let's see here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't think I need to ask what's the biggest threat, but what's the best way to protect the victim, i.e. myself? 
I think you know how this story ends. It ends with one of your relatives tackling you, smothering the fire, and a stern, some would say perhaps callous, lecture from your mother. But that's not the best way to protect yourself. As in I can rewrite history here. You have two more hold. Okay. My next one is going to be, what is the best way out? I think as you are running in circles and your relatives are closing in, you can see floating up from the grave a single silver strand billowing up as though it's caught in the wind. I know what I want to do with that strand, but I'm curious if you want me to ask my third question first. If you know what you want to do, you're welcome to do it. You don't have to ask your third question. I'm grabbing that strand. You leap forward and grab hold of it, and everything fades away. 